Good day, everybody. This is Brandon with 238 Media. I just wanted to make sure I took some time to let you know about this great tool that helps me to keep my podcast moving at a really good rate of production. This tool is Anchor by Spotify, and it is probably one of the easiest ways to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a host of other options. It's everything you need in one place to make a podcast. And best of all, it is 100% free. So, hey, let me know what you think. And as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. So let's go. Albie, as soon as you begin speaking, I'll go ahead and start the clock. You're on mute. All right, you can go ahead and begin. May the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be glorified. First, I want to thank Brandon, my colleague, for coming up here and taking this uh, debate under short notice. We agreed upon it earlier, and thank you, Jeremy, the moderator, for also agreeing. And I thank all of you in the audience for making the time to listen to both sides. As Proverbs 18:17 says, the first to plead his case always seems correct until his neighbor comes to examine him. So the examination is not yet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present the inter- dependent relationship between the one true God who is more than one person as both the Hebrew scriptures teaches and the New Testament starting with Genesis 1 1 when we or Genesis 1 2 when we read Genesis 1 the first thing we need to understand is to who was it originally penned to who was the original audience it would be the first generation of Israelites coming out of captivity Lo and behold, what would be their doctrine? What would be their understanding when they read this? Here's Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That verb for hovering is also used one other time in the Torah, and that's in Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 and here's what it says as an eagle stirs up its nest hovers over its young spreading out its wings taking them up carrying them on its wings notice an eagle must have cognition in order to do what to stir up its nest to hover over its young by spreading out its wings so that it could nourish its young flourish its young and preserve its young well that's exactly what we see the holy spirit doing in genesis chapter 1 verse 2 but to go on to read deuteronomy 32 the very next verse verse 12 it says so jehovah alone led them and there was no foreign god with them so jehovah is being likened to that eagle who hovers over its nest who hovers over Israel. Well, here is the Holy Spirit hovering over the earth in its gaseous state in order to give it bionic life. 
habitable life. Therefore, we see in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Well, the first thing we have to think about is, who is he speaking to? And what is the, what is the author trying to give us an understanding of? Throughout the days of creation, let there be and there was. When we get to the creation of man in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, instead of let there be and there was, the language then changes. The language becomes, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle. Now. Let us make that verb in the Hebrew is naase. Every single time that word naase is used, it's always used of a plurality of subjects doing what they said they're going to be doing, never of a singular subject. So then, for what purpose does God say, let us make? In, in Exodus 19, verse 8, we will do. Exodus 24, 7, we will do. Numbers 32, 31, we will do. In other words, not I say, not I say. Same verb as let us make. Always a plurality of subjects. So we see the Spirit of God in verse 2. He has to have cognition in order to hover over a gaseous state in order to give it bionic life. Now we get to the creation of man in Genesis 2, 7. Notice the language here. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of dust out of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Well, breath is a metaphor for what? We know that the Lord doesn't have a literal mouth. So what does breath represent? Breath represents life. When, you don't, when you're not breathing, you have no life. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God who gives life to all things, not in exclusion to the Father or the Word, but in union, as both the Hebrew Scriptures teaches and the New Testament. The Father decrees creation to come into existence. The Son carries out the command with his eternal companion, the Holy Spirit. And so life became a reality. Adam was formed and <clears throat> constructed a spirit within him where Adam would now be animated. Now notice the language, Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God, when it comes down to the making of man. In Genesis 2-7, the spirit, I'm sorry, the breath of life, which is the breath of the Lord God. Where do we get this language from? Well, Job chapter 33, Job 33, verse 14. It says, and I see my time is fleeting pretty quickly, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but it says, Job 33, Job 33, verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So here's the Spirit of God in Genesis 1, and then the breath of the Almighty in Genesis 2, highlighting the fact that the Spirit is life-giver, as my colleague would say.
But yet, my point in bringing this up is not to agree with my uh, colleague, but rather, rather to encourage him and encourage the audience to ask yourselves, in what way, shape, or form does the Spirit of God have cognition where then he receives commands? Let us make man in our image. Surely it can't be the angels because we're not made in the, uh, in the image of angels. Moreover, it shouldn't surprise anybody, either Trinitarian or anti-Trinitarian, that we are to find singular nouns, pronouns, verbs, participles, adjectives. We would all amen the singular because we all say God is one ontologically, one in essence, right? But what should surprise the anti-Trinitarian, yet not the Trinitarian, is when we find plural verbs, participles, and adjectives. Again, plural verbs, participles, and adjectives found for the one God. For example, when we look at Isaiah 54, verse 5, that would be the first place I'd go. It says, remember, well, let me pull it up. It says, for your makers, and that word for makers is osaika, osaika is your husbands, plural. So why your makers? For your makers are your husbands. Jehovah of hosts is his name. Well, then why not in Genesis 126 say makers? Well, because it wouldn't make grammatical sense seeing that the verb naase has already been used. Let us make man in our image. So the singular format of make is being used there to denote the fact that let us make is a plurality of subjects. That's making man in God's image. So then Isaiah 54, verse 5, uses the plural word for makers. But it doesn't stop there. Job 35, verse 10. Again, where is God my makers? Where is God my makers? Psalms 149, verse 2. Let Israel be glad in his makers. Osayu. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let Israel be glad in his makers. Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Remember also your creators. Your creators. Well, who are these creators? Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. We'd all agree that the word of the Lord is the Son. We have different ideas of it, but nonetheless, and it's easily proven, but my point in bringing this up is, let me pull up Psalm 33, verse 6, where it says, By the word of Jehovah, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And that word breath is ruach, actually, in the Hebrew. But nonetheless, though, nonetheless, you have the word, you have Jehovah, and you have the breath. You have the Holy Trinity in one single verse. 
in creation. And yet, while there is three distinct persons, we know that the word of the Lord is distinct from uh, Jehovah, yet inseparable ontologically, we still see, we still see in Psalm chapter, let me go to Psalm chapter 104, 29 and 30. Sorry, just got to do this off the top of my head. Psalm 104, 29, or I'm sorry, 30 and 31. Here's what it says. You send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. Notice, you send forth your spirit and they are created. Wow, so you have to send forth your spirit in order for them to be created. Yet we know that the one God who's multi-personal is also described as a as Jehovah alone who created all things. For example, Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are Jehovah. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So notice, you alone are Jehovah. But let's show a quick distinction. Let's do this. Let's go into the salvation matter. Let's, we'll go into the Exodus. Who was there in the Exodus bringing forth Israel out of captivity? In Exodus, just to be clear, the gifts of the Holy Spirit can clearly be seen. The Holy Spirit fills us with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, construction of art, design. Um, and this is found in Exodus 31, 1 through 6, specifically verse 3. In Exodus 35, 30 to 31, Spirit of God fills. So these are gifts that are being distributed by, by the Spirit. And yet, you know what's very interesting? In the Exodus, the Holy Spirit was very much involved there, as I would imagine uh, Brandon would also say so. But we have one problem, or he does, not the Trinitarian. In Exodus 32, if you read 1 through 7, the Israelites built a golden calf. And because they built that golden calf, God was angry with them. And what he says in Exodus 33, verse 2, he says this, I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So notice, you're going to go out. My angel is going to bring you out there, the angel of the Lord, who is the son of God by virtue of nature, the uncreated messenger, he's going to bring them up into the land of milk and honey, just like Jesus brings us into the, uh, into the new Jerusalem because Jesus is the angel, but that's a topic for another time. But notice what it says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst. I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way yet. What will he do? Let's find out. In Isaiah chapter 63, 7 through 16, here's the Trinity working in the Exodus by the decree of the Father. Here's what happens. Isaiah 63, 
7 to 16. I will mention the loving kindness of Jehovah. There's one person. And the praises of Jehovah according to all that Jehovah has bestowed on us. And the great goodness towards the house of Israel, when he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior in all their affliction. He was afflicted and the angel of his face, the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy. Wow, just like when they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Jesus says one word against the Son of Man, that'll be forgiven. But a word against the Holy Spirit, that will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come, showing a distinction of personhood and showing the love of Christ for his eternal companion. 10, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people. Remember the word his people saying, where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock, his people, his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before to make for himself an everlasting name. Well, notice, number one, the Lord says, Jehovah says in Exodus 33, verse 2 and 3, I will not go with them. I'll send my angel. I will not go with them lest I consume them in my wrath, I will not be in their midst. As a matter of fact, just to reiterate it, it says here in verse 2, and I will send my angel before you, and Amorai, Milkanani, so here, go up to the land, verse 3, go up to the land flowing with Milkanani, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you. I will not go in your midst, and yet, the Holy Spirit is in their midst. So what is it? If the oneness position is correct, are you with them or are you not? Well, yes, he's with them by virtue of his spirit being with them. Well, his spirit can't be identical to him, yet it can be identical in nature. But if he's going to say that his spirit means that they're one and the same person, well, then he would also have to say in the context of Isaiah 63, 11, that his people, that means the people must also be him because it says Moses and his people. He would also say the flock has to be him because it says when the shepherd of his flock, then it says, where is he? Two minutes. His Holy Spirit within them. So that's the point showing the clear distinction uh, between the triune God in the Exodus. Now. In Matthew 28, 19, something very interesting happens. As you all know, Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice the conjunction with the definite article to show a distinction in person, yet a unification in essence which is why the name is singular, but the persons are a plurality.
because what we find in scripture is a God who is a unity, but who is also a plurality. Now, where do we get this idea from of the name, Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit? You don't have to guess. Let's go to the law. Numbers chapter 6, 22 to 27. And, the, and Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, count with me, guys. Jehovah, bless you and keep you. That's one. Jehovah, make his face shine upon you. That's two. And be gracious to you. 26. Jehovah, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's three. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. My name three times. Where do we find this? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and Ten the seconds. love of God and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's time. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So that's the opening statements from both Albie and Brandon Nero. We are now going to move into the 15 minute rebuttal for each where Brandon will have an opportunity to now uh, directly contest any claims made in the opening statements, ask any clarifying uh, questions uh, or not questions, statements, um, so on and so forth. So.